You're listening to The Emulsion Podcast, a show that informs and inspires the restaurant industry to work, live, and create better. My name is Justin Kana, and I'm a chef and media producer with almost 10 years of experience in award-winning restaurants all over the world. I created this show as a way to give back, to inspire the next generation, and to help you progress your career. The Emulsion Podcast is sponsored by you folks, and Patreon is where that happens. If you're here as a return listener and you enjoyed the episode you just came from and happen to want to support more episodes, I'd really appreciate it. Go ahead and check out patreon.com slash justincana. Thanks in advance if you can. I totally understand if you can't. Free ways you can support this show include leaving a like or comment on this video, filling up all five stars on iTunes, or simply sharing an episode with a friend. This is an interview show. If you missed out on asking your burning question to today's guest, don't let that happen again. There is a really handy-dandy form where you can see upcoming guests and ask them your questions. Be sure to check out justincona.com slash podcast. I'd encourage you to see who I've got coming up. Being in the trenches is as grueling as those you know, 10-hour days can be. Um, you're, you're fighting through service and you get to the end and there's something about you know breaking down your station and looking around and everybody's kind of you know lying down cleaning your cutting boards and, and tidying things up and something about about that kind of sensation and feeling is something i think most cooks will probably always miss once they aren't in the kitchen every day what is up folks so grateful to have you here today's guest is chris hill i always want to say chef chris hill but he is so much more than that a little rundown of chris's background he grew up in atlanta and attended the prestigious westminster school from there he moved on to the university of alabama where he double majored in english literature and spanish and then went on to earn a master's degree in marketing upon graduation he accepted a position with a boutique marketing and management consulting firm and they worked with a bunch of different Fortune 500 clients, so he's used to working with these really big brands. After a little more than a year, though, he had a massive change of heart and followed his passion into the world of cooking, a passion that he'd pursued since high school. Eventually, he opened up his first restaurant at the age of 28, growing into the role of executive chef, but nowadays, Chris wears the hat of author, speaker, teacher, chef, and mentor. You'll often find him posting articles on Medium about topics very similar to mine about how to progress your career as a professional chef. But then he'll also talk about the personal branding and networking side of things. He also spends a couple of days a week teaching culinary classes in Virginia, where he lives now. We definitely dive a little bit more into that into the show. But it was a sincere pleasure of mine to have Chris on the show. Him and I are very much so two sides of the same coin. He's definitely a much better writer than I am. If you folks haven't checked out any of his articles, put that on your to-do list right after this episode. Uh, His page on Medium is linked up in the show notes. But for now, let's get into our conversation. Yeah. Uh, you are the, you are the first podcast guest that I've had on that has like pages upon pages upon pages of backlogs in Google because <laughs> you've done so many interviews, nice. which I love, which I love. Nice. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to make, I tried to make some of the questions, uh, ones that maybe you haven't been asked before, which is, you know, hopefully exciting for everyone involved. Yeah. yeah those are always fun. It's, 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 uh, I mean, it's fun to answer the old, same old questions, but yeah, right. it's fun to, and, and I think it's. I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, I feel like you have uh, more of a, an appreciation for the industry, or maybe it's just a different appreciation for the industry um, with kind of the way you've worked your way through and what you're doing now. So, um, yeah, I think it could be. It's be cool. a huge reason why I wanted to have you on the show because we get along on so many of the, the principles and the, you know, I feel yeah. like we say the same things. It's like, you know, uh, but it's not it's not in the in the cliche way where the the head chef will be like you know keep your head down or work hard 
you're actually like, right. giving some some tangibles along with that because it's easy to say that because it's like that's what you want of course you want your employees to work hard and and be patient and and all that but you you come you come at it with a different with a different flair so i was I, like I, I i think for a long time i did kind of come at it from that like cliche place because like you said it, it is easy um but are you leaving this person in in the situation like in a better place than how you found it probably not sure um, so yeah, I to start, I'd love with a little kind of state of the union from you on your thoughts on chefs and media in this kind of 2018 environment, especially from your perspective, because you've had experience and success in in the chef realm and then in the media realm. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me on, Justin. Mm-hmm. Uh, should be a lot of fun. You know, I, I think we're at a crazy place and an awesome opportunity for chefs and for restaurants to. You know, the last 20 years has been a, a real renaissance with, you know, the farm and table movement, you know, popping up maybe 20 years ago. Now it's, you're able to get, you know, fresh ingredients really anywhere in the country, uh, world for that matter. And I think there's a great opportunity. Uh, it's, it, it's an interesting dynamic though, because you, you look and there's a lot of young cooks that, that uh, aren't used to the old kind of quote unquote brigade, brigade system where you work your way up and you're the, you're the kind of doing the, the bitch work for, for however many years. And, and now there's a lot more thinness in, in, in restaurant kitchens. So you kind of, you hop on the line after maybe six months of washing dishes. And then, you know, two years later, you might be the sous chef, um, which, you know, back, you know, a couple of decades ago, that'd be a, a 10 year course. So it's interesting to kind of see how that's playing out. And obviously the, the, the challenges with keeping, good staff keeping uh being able to take care of the staff those are all concerns that i think we all have and then um it'll be interesting to see how things go especially with a lot of the technology that you know just yesterday somebody posted on my facebook wall a a robot that was literally creating a dish from from start to finish i so, saw that it was like the robot arms right they were like white yeah. robot arms i saw that man it's insane insane so uh yeah i think now more than ever to tie in you know, media, I think now we have the opportunity to, to brand ourselves and to really create, you know, something unique with, you know, our style, with, with what we want to do and represent with, with our cuisine and the ones that are going to be able to, you know, stand up against, against everyone else are the ones that are going to be able to stand out right. um, and, and do something that's unique and interesting that tells a story about what they think and about how they see the world. Do you see it as being kind of like one in the same, being being a chef and being a media personality? Like you have to have both. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you had to, you know, three or four decades ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everyone was doing French cuisine, uh, and if they weren't doing French cuisine, they were at a country club somewhere or maybe at a hotel. And as long as you could, you make the numbers work. You know, you kept a decent food cost, and your labor wasn't too high. Then. You, you had job security. I think job security was kind of the number one most important thing you know, across the board. We, we didn't have the, this insane food culture we have now. You know, now you look around and, and you know, there's competition everywhere. So, so yeah, I think now to be able to really stand out, to be able to uh, be in this for the long haul, I, th- I think you have to stand out. I think, and I think being part of the media is – is something that you have to do. And, and I think the older chefs would probably kind of 
you know, kind of laugh that off. But I mean, in reality, if, if you want to have control over where your career goes, that's really the kind of the only way moving forward. Right. Um, it's something I'd be interested to jam with you on because it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of now as I'm, as we're having this conversation, because I've been going a, a little bit like rah, rah, market yourself, like publish some content, get yourself out there. But, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the, if there is that person who's in the media, whether it's the chef owner or the restaurateur or whatever, they need that person to do all the back end. They need that person to manage the employees and, and, and be in the restaurant from day to day if they're going to be out marketing, marketing themselves. Maybe there's uh, – because everybody now is wanting to be in the media, maybe there's about to be this huge demand for the, for the behind-the-scenes person. Do you think that's, that there's any truth in that? Or do you think there's room for everyone? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think we actually just got off a conversation with Scott Conant uh, for my podcast, and and he was talking about you know he had just opened up a, a new restaurant out in uh, Las Vegas on I think it was Valentine's Day, uh, but he's you know got restaurants all over the country. Obviously, he can't be in every single location you know at, at any given time. I mean, a lot of days he probably isn't in any of them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, definitely having somebody that you trust to to execute is I think massively important. And you know, one of the interesting things that, that I've heard a lot really, especially with, with the podcast, we had Richard Blaze on not too long ago also, and they both kind of said the same thing, which is, is you know, to be able to have good people that you're, that you trust to take care of your staff, to take care of the employees, take care of, of the customers and the product uh, you really have to be able to grow so that you can find new opportunities for people with, within your company. Right. Uh, so I definitely think that's a, a piece of it. Uh, at the same time, I, I think, you know, depending on the, the message you're putting out there, obviously uh, sharing the message of, of the product itself is a, a good way to, to get some, some uh, mass media on what you're doing. But at the same time, Maybe you just like like for you know Danny Meyer and Union Square Hospitality Group, a lot of what they do um, is obviously great food and great customer service, but they the media that they talk about is part of the operations itself. Sure. So I think there could also be a a place where you merge the two together. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I it's it's funny. I I called in to the when Danny Meyer was on the Ask Gary V show the other day. And yeah, they, yeah. They actually took my question, so I was on the show, oh, really cool. and I asked nice. him a question about. I, I, I wanted, I wanted so bad for Danny Meyer to answer it, but Gary kind of took over and and did his thing with it. But I was asking him about social media and and how he delegates out the posting of social media in his restaurants. And I mean, I I obviously didn't get a very secure answer for him from him, but I think part of why he's been able to be successful is because he puts people around him to to put that media out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. As and, opposed and, to posting it himself. Yeah, oh, for sure. And and I know that every morning he sits down with his chief operating officer, Richard Corain, who actually I wrote about uh, in my first book, and we actually had him on the podcast probably a couple months ago. And a lot of what he talked about was you know them entrusting their employees and trusting their staff to to make the right decisions um, uh, with with a, with a sense of uh, of you know, doing the right thing. And 
maybe they do the right thing, maybe they don't, but you know that they're coming from a place of, of goodwill and, and trying to do the right thing. And that I think also kind of comes back to you know, having the right people around you. If, if you hire people, you know, they do such a great job of, of retaining talent, of, of bringing the right people in because people understand what they're about, then yeah, I think it makes it a lot easier to trust people around you. Sure. And that, 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 that's a double-edged sword, which is the best part about it, is that if you're putting out media that's telling like truthful, honest media about what you're doing as a brand, then you, that's like kind of like an automatic filter for job applicants because they know exactly what you're about. And then exactly. when, when that hiring process happens, they know exactly what they're getting themselves into because they've been following you for the last nine months. Yep, yeah, for sure. And I don't know if you saw actually recently, talk about being transparent, Danny Meyer was talking about, you know, they've eliminated the tipping. I, th I think it's gone company-wide now, but one of the things that he came out saying was that they end up having a lot more front of the house turnover because of of the of the no tipping now um, versus what they really kind of thought it would be. So I was going to ask, do you think that the reason that the front of house turnover is so high because of the no tipping thing is because they don't have the advantage of having the tips anymore because there's no none of that extra revenue coming in? Yes, yeah, so I, I think the front of the house staff you know saw that. I mean. In New York City, you also have to make a certain amount of money you know, to be able to live there, as you know. Um, and I think that the front of the house staff was making, uh, let's just say, you know, $60,000, $70,000 a year. Uh, once this went into effect, they were maybe making fifty-five. Got it. I mean, that's just, just throwing it out there. So then, all right, well, now you still have to you know, pay your whatever all your expenses are, you know, being living in New York City. And, and maybe they just felt like they could uh, – join someone else and, and, and do something else uh, more effectively. So to be able to it's, take care of themselves. It's interesting because there's uh, it's, it's been something that's been taking off in Seattle here as well, where they, where they will do the 20% add on service charge. And a lot of people aren't the biggest fans of it because they think that it makes the service staff lazier and they are less likely to want to give you good service because they're wanting to work for that tip money and it results in a poor quality of service, which in Seattle doesn't really fly because we're, we're a customer service town with Amazon and Microsoft being all over the place. So I don't know. It's just an interesting right. thing to see. It's like a culture shift, and it's, it's interesting to see how it reverberates and ripples out when these decisions are made. Right. Well, and I think Danny, I think he felt very confident. I'm sure he still probably does feel very confident that their, that their customers are, are getting – good service, the same service they were before. Um, I think he actually might feel like it removes a layer of tension. You know, mm. the, you know, some people could say that some people could flip what you're just saying and say, well, I feel like this person is giving me great service only because they want a tip. Got and now he could say, well, people are here to take care of you because they are here to take care of you. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it's interesting, definitely an interesting dynamic for sure. Totally. Um, I'd love to take it back for you. And if if you have any stories, I'd appreciate you sharing them. But I, I'd like to know how you got your first kind of in with restaurants back when you started. Because you, you, you didn't start with restaurants. And if there were any particular obstacles or kind of failures that you had to go through as trial by fire when you first got your in with restaurants. Yeah, so I in my first restaurant job uh was at 17 working at the Atlanta fish market 
uh, that was really just kind of a, a make some some beer money for, for the summer, about to head off to college next year. Um, but really, but the event I went to school, and then I actually went into marketing for a little while. Uh, along the way, I worked in restaurants, kind of you know here and there throughout. Started working with my brother on a catering company, and really my first kind of opportunity, I guess, that presented itself was my cousin owning a restaurant up here in Virginia. Uh, it was in essentially in shambles, and they uh, they needed to kind of overhaul everything. So he brought me in. I didn't have a clue really you know, how to ma- manage people, how to manage the operations, how to manage costs. At the same time, though, I knew that what they were doing wasn't working. It was, it was a lot of. It was supposed to be a, a high end kind of upscale sports bar, I guess you'd call it, mm. and. What it really ended up being when I got up got up here was that it was a lot of, you know, pre-made stuff that was just kind of drop it in the fryer. All the sauces were pre-made. You know, they, if they were using tomato sauce, it was from your know, number 10 can, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I said, and he asked me, you know, Chris, why do you think that this this isn't working? Why is the staff kind of just complacent? Why don't they care? And it was very clear to me that they didn't have any sort of ownership of the product. Right. Uh, um, it was a it was a long kind of six month overhaul, but we ended up turning their kitchen to a from scratch. So everything was made in house. Everything was was uh, all the soup sauces. You know, all the all the meat was broken down in house. Everything, uh, which was a, a great lesson. And on the other side, seeing all the employees, you know, feeling confident and empowered, and also proud of of the work they were doing. But I mean, he and I along that way had you know, a lot of, of arguments and, and conversations about, you know, the right thing to do. And, and it finally ended up working. But um, probably the, the biggest thing I learned um, moving on from there was he and I opened a restaurant together and I was, uh, you know, trying to, we were, it was on a shoestring budget. I was, I was working full time to kind of pay the bills and we opened up the restaurant. Long story short, we, uh, Got got open, but didn't have any recipes in place. Didn't have all the 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 processes and the you know, the procedures and, and the things that we could you know share with our staff. That, you know, this is how we're going to do things. And as a result, uh, the product was very inconsistent. It was it was good, uh, but it wasn't consistent. So mm-hmm. I was actually kind of married to the business and and could never really get away. And then finally, we uh, got things standardized. This is how we're supposed to do things. This is how it's supposed to look. This is how it's supposed to taste. This is how much of this you put in there and made my life a lot easier. Right. So to me, to me, the takeaway from that would be kind of like you can make it easy for your staff, but you have to have that balance, right? Of making it easy enough for your staff so that they can execute it, but also give them the, give them the freedom to take ownership of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I want, I mean, one of the things to do some consulting sometimes that, that I encourage is is sit down with your staff every Tuesday and and uh, at least your at least your your back house staff and make sure that everybody brings two ideas for specials you know to, to the meeting on Tuesday and and this weekend we'll use you know somebody's specials uh, from the meeting um, that way everybody's bringing something to the table they feel like they're a part of the process um, I mean when we whenever we would in the early days of the restaurant whenever we would you have, you know, a seasonal menu change. 
my business partners and I would, would sit down and I'd say, well, let's bring the kitchen guys in here. And my partners were insistent on, well, they're not the ones making the decision here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, but they are the ones making the <laughs> Totally, totally. And, and the more they feel like they're a part of what we're doing, then the more they're going to they're gonna kind of buy in and feel like it's something they can stand behind and be proud of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, th- I think that's especially important you know, these days where you know, a lot of what we talk about and, and the challenges we have is being able to pay staff you know, enough to, you know, to keep them around. Well, one of the ways we can quote unquote pay them is to give them tools and, and resources and, you know, a, a certain sense of gratification through the work they do uh, that, that will keep them coming back for more. Right. It's that like value isn't always monetary kind of thing. Where it's like I would rather be happy and feeling creatively fulfilled in a job rather than get a couple extra bucks at the end of the month. Yeah, I think we all would. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to take it back, there's a lot of people that will listen to this show that are just starting off in the industry. They're culinary students. They are uh, just got their first line cook job. Uh, you have a quote that says, I think another way to get your feet wet in a cooking career is for, through food blogging. Does that kind of stand true to you? Do you think that that would be something that would be still valuable or maybe even more valuable now? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think food blogging, um, I, maybe I, maybe I would um, change that a little bit and say, you know, industry blogging, you know, a lot of what I do now or, or what you do, you're talking, creating conversations about the industry. Um, you know, the first article I wrote that went viral, you know, Dear Chefs, I think you might have read it at some point. Mm-hmm. It, um, it, anyone could have written that, but, but, you know, I chose to. And as a result, it was able to kind of give me a foothold on, on starting to create, you know, a little bit more relevancy around myself. And suddenly people cared about what I had to say, and most of which had never tried my food. And for me, I kind of went down you know, a different route, you know, if I had gone to CIA like you or had gone the more traditional route and gotten in a little bit earlier, I, I, I might not have gone down the, you know, talk about the industry as, as much, but for me, that kind of felt like uh, the easiest and maybe the most compelling way to create some relevancy around myself uh, was to connect with people in a way that was, was comfortable and felt right to me. Right. Uh, do you think there's a certain value in blogging from a begin- beginner's perspective? Because you and I both kind of didn't start putting ourselves out there until we had a, a decent amount of kind of confidence in-, in-, in what we're doing and what we're having to say. Like we had something to say, so then we started saying it. Uh, I-, I encourage a lot of young people to kind of start documenting what they're doing. Easy, right, to get up on that on that soapbox and say like, you know, this is, this is bullshit, or I, I had a shitty day at work because X, Y, Z, and you're really just looking like an asshole because you don't actually, if you give it a few years, it's like that thing that your parents always say, right? Like, you'll, you'll understand when you're older kind of thing. Yep. And I fear yep. that if I encourage people to put themselves out there too much, there will be too much of that kind of like peacocking around instead of, uh, where, where's your advice on that? Where, when do you start actually putting yourself out there? Well, I, I think you can put yourself out there w- without having all the answers. And I, I think that's one of the most important things is to, uh, and I, I still try and say, hey guys, like 
I'm in this with you trying to, you know, trying to figure this out for myself as well. Do you have any suggestions? But, but I think coming at it from that kind of place is, is super helpful. But what, one thing I think blogging does, and, and I'm not talking about the traditional food blogger where you're putting your recipes out there. Uh, I mean, that can be, can be nice too, but, but when you're, the, the type of conversations that I'm trying to have is, is where talking about like important things in the, in the industry that a lot of us are dealing with on a daily basis, you know, where we're all trying to figure out the, the best way to kind of navigate these things. And asking questions, I think is the, maybe the, the most important thing a, a, a blog does, even if you, you have a, a pseudonym where you don't even, you know, publish on your own name, but if you just write and share with, with whoever could just be your, your family or friends, if you, you know, share what, what is on your mind, some of the questions you're asking, you start really getting to know yourself better and getting to know what you think people out there might actually connect with. And, and then you kind of start to create your voice. Uh, but the only way to create your voice is to actually start creating it. Right, right. You have transitioned much more into writing a lot more, which is something that I am currently dealing with. I, I write all my own video. I write all my videos out as like a script and writing oh, cool. is something that I would never felt comfortable with. And so it's something that I'm still kind of uh, learning and growing. Do you have any authors that you've either gotten a lot of inspiration from or that you recommend people start with if they're looking to read a little bit more about writing or success even? Um, you know, one of my probably favorites, um, in the, in the industry is Michael Rollman. Mm-hmm. You know, he wrote, uh, mind of a chef, soul of a chef. Um, I think it's, a uh, becoming a chef or he, he yeah, goes, something like that. I, I read it way back in the day. Yeah. Like where he goes through CIA and he kind of tells the story. Uh, you know, he was, uh, originally just a writer and then he kind of fell into food really through that whole experience. But, uh, you know, I think, Finding someone who, anyone really, who who you can kind of relate to is, is helpful. Mm-hmm. Then it, it makes it a little bit more exciting. Um, and then just reading, uh, reading a lot and, and getting different perspectives. Because when you're younger, I think you, you kind of gravitate to what is easy and comfortable and what you think people might be interested in, in hearing. But then once you read more and more, you realize there's different perspectives and there's different ways to look at things and that kind of the more well-rounded your understanding of a certain topic is, you know, the better you're be able to kind of dive into it. So uh, right. I think just reading a lot is maybe the best thing. Totally. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask it right now because it's a question I had that I was going to ask later, but I feel like you answered it in a way that relates to writing that I often speak about with food and it's the importance of eating out just as much as you cook because yeah. I think that there's just as much value in sitting in that seat and getting served food and, and you know, w- what does it feel like to be in that seat? That's just as important as, as being behind the stove. Uh, do you have any, uh, anything to expand on that with, or, or maybe you can tell, is there a meal that you've had recently that has kind of opened your eyes or inspired you in recent yeah. memory? You know, I, um, I mean, one that that always be one for me, which I think you're just a spoiled brat. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, you know, it was last uh, last year I got to eat it per se. Hell yeah! And you know, like sitting down 
and having, you know, for me, one of the early, really one of like maybe two or three cookbooks that I really took recipes from and actually tried like the whole recipe the way it's supposed to be was the French Laundry cookbook. Mm-hmm. And so you trying, you know, the uh, oysters and pearls and, and different recipes that were in the book and seeing, oh, like, wow, this is how it's supposed to be. Um, that, that, that experience was incredible. Um, mm-hmm. not just from, from like me being a, a, a cook and appreciating what, the, what was on the plate, but also, you know, here you are in a, uh, incredible restaurant, three Michelin stars and everything is, is so thought out and, and, and detailed and you can tell everything's intentional. So, I think taking your experiences, whether it's, you know, high end, low end, whatever, and, and seeing, you know, what it's like, what, what could be different, what could be better. And just having that experience, I think, like you said, super helpful, whether it's about cooking or it's about, you know, if you want, when you're in a restaurant, like what do you want your restaurant to, to, to feel like if you're the customer and mm-hmm. why, why does the customer feel this certain way um, based on the, the way that the, the uh, customers in, you're interacting with with the, the staff so just understanding how it all works and, and how you know, every every uh dining experience is different um so getting kind of a good understanding of that and just being clear on that i think is really helpful for for what you can do better next time or for your first time around right i I remember when we would have certain topics that would come up at the rest of the last restaurant that I worked at my, my chef, it was my f- chef's first restaurant with kind of like his name on it. And when we would come up with those questions, you know, like when we, when, when the, when the, when the couple opens a bottle of wine, do we bring over an ice bucket or do we leave it on the table? And his kind of every single f- reference would come down to, to what would he like when he was going out to eat? And he had such a good frame of reference on what he enjoyed about dining experiences because he he enjoys it. He loves going out to eat. So he took a lot of those principles. And when he did finally have his own restaurant, he could finally apply that. And I think it's so important. Um, I remember we had had a chef de partie who was plating a cheese course. And the way that they plated it this one time was just not good. And I was like, what do you want me to – change change about it and he's like i want you to sit them down in the dining room next week and have them eat the full meal and give them the cheese course and ask them to go around town and have a couple of cheese plates around town because this person has not eaten cheese courses a lot in their life and that was just so profound for me i was like whoa how how would you want to eat it right yeah exactly Exactly. And you have to trust yourself to have that judgment because uh, hopefully, hopefully you as the, as the chef is well, just as well versed uh, as the diner in being in those shoes. It gives you that empathy, right? To know what it's yeah, like for, from sure. that perspective. And I think there's also kind of a counter, a counter to that, which is, is, is sometimes you're so close to it, especially cook or a chef, like you're so close to it that, that sometimes you don't see the big picture. Uh, so being willing to hear Mary's customer, maybe it's the owner or, or investor or whoever, um, hearing a different perspective and seeing, well, maybe somebody else has something to say that could be valuable here as well. With writing, 
now you, at least we, you and I have spoken about kind of your cooking a little bit, you're teaching a little bit, you're writing a little bit. What is the ratio of kind of like your day to day right now? I, I try and compartmentalize things. So you know, I'll, I'll try and spend, you know, blocks of, of time. So actually t- today, is, today is a podcast day. I just finished a podcast. I think I told you with Scott Conant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing this. Um, had another kind of similar kind of conversation uh, before that. Um, I'm actually an adjunct professor at the culinary school here in Virginia. So um, I'm doing that in four hour chunks uh, a couple days a week. And then, and then, yeah, writing uh, primarily uh, the rest of the time. Slash, um, slash, slash creating content and, and media, you know, for, for the personal brand. Sure. Are you, are you happy with where that's at? Would you like to do, – do you enjoy kind of the multifaceted life and kind of being able to dabble in a couple different things at the same time? I know that I've been struggling with it because <laughs> I'm used to just having one job. You go in every day. You have a really long shift of doing the same thing, and then you – it's like either we're working or you're not working. Right. I, I like it. Um, I'm not sure that I'm the best at it because uh, yeah, I, I'm super ADD. I, I, I like not having the same job every single day at the same time. Yeah, I, have, I do have trouble compartmentalizing things. I, I do have trouble um, going, you know, not bouncing from one thing to the next. So mm-hmm. It's a it's a balance, and and you know, a lot of the work that I do too is is you know on my home office here. So, you know, when when you have work to get done, whether it's writing or or you know getting the the email newsletter to send out or publish a new article, whatever it is, you know, it's it's easy to say, oh, like the laundry needs to get done, or you know, I can go to the kitchen and you know make some some stuff for dinner. So yeah, it's like you're always on, but you're not ever like really on. Is there is there something about being in the in the kitchen that you miss? Yeah, I um, you know, one thing doing some consulting work, I do get a chance to uh, to play around with 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 folks, you know, on on new recipes, recipe development, and a little bit of the creative stuff. It's it's a little bit different because it's not necessarily my creative stuff. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's fun to be able to to trouble, troubleshoot a recipe or, or a dish and put it on your menu and say, like, this is what we came up with um, as, as a staff um, and me being the, you being the chef, you're putting it on there for yourself. Um, at the same time, you know, it's, it's, I do get to do that some through some consulting. But, yeah, I think more than anything I miss, you know, like I think like a, like a lot of us being in the trenches is as grueling as those, you know, 10-hour days can be. Um, you're fighting through service and you get to the end and there's something about, you know, breaking down your station and looking around and everybody's kind of, you know, winding down, cleaning your cutting boards and, and tidying things up. And something about, about that kind of sensation and feeling is something I think most cooks will probably always miss once they aren't in the kitchen every day. Right. For me, it's definitely the, uh, the, the like 10 minutes right before the doors open. Like, oh, yeah, it's that that's that hype, like right, right up before it. And I don't get that every day anymore. And it's something that I definitely when I was writing this question for you, I thought about, like, how would I answer it? And it, that's I don't know. There's something about it. There's so many things, there's so many elements that, that, that don't carry over in normal life. And it, it totally made me understand why the kitchen draws so, certain people because uh, it's a rush. It's definitely a rush. It's, it's like the athlete who's like in the tunnel about to come mm-hmm. out. You know, mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. 
Mm -hmm. What do you think chefs can be doing to help better this next generation? I know there's a lot of talk right now about there's, there's good cooks are really hard to find. Uh, It's really hard to find good help these days. What can chefs be doing better to help the next generation? You know, I think that's one of the million dollar questions. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if I were to have any insight on it, I think it would be, you know, when we're bringing people in, to you know, be a part of our team, to be a part of our staff, like to really invest in them. You know, I think you know, before you know, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, you know, before you or I were ever around, it was it was oh, this is my recipe, and I'm gonna keep it close to my to, to the vest, and and I'm not gonna share it with you. Well, now it's a lot of sharing, is a lot of bringing you know, people into what we're doing. But are we bringing it in? Damn, it's loud as hell. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. But um, are we bringing people in, you know, w- with their best interest in mind? So you're giving them the tools and the resources, not to just be a, a successful cook or chef, because you know, let's face it, a lot of folks are um, may- maybe not on the higher end, but a lot of folks that are in this industry for you know a couple of years, kind of passing through, and, and and you know, and speaking with Richard Blaze, you know, he knows that he was saying how you, know, I know that you know some of my cooks or, or servers, you know, want to start their own t-shirt companies. So if I know that when they come in, you know, I can, you know, start to teach them a little bit about, you know, what it means to, to be a business owner and some of those tools and, and give them some of those resources and, and understanding of, of what it's like to, to run a business, um, you know, from, from the top down. So I, I think investing in people will probably guess the farthest because, you know, we can only, afford to pay you know a certain amount based on you know, what the margins are and those margins won't ever be huge so you know how can we kind of you know squeeze the, the most juice out of the uh the the lemon i guess you'd say and i think the way to do that is really to to get people to uh to buy into the staff and, and to to invest in people so they want to be around because they know that hey like chef or owner or whoever you know, wants to see me succeed not just and their business, but, but, but in life and in my career. Right. And I think that that, that's where I see a lot of uh, problems with uh, those cliche chef interviews where it's like, you know, you need to keep your head down. You need to be obedient. You need to be focused Uh, because then when that conversation comes around where chef says, you know, Hey, what, what are you interested in? How can I help you? You kind of get that cliche answer of like, I want to work for you. I want to like, you know, as opposed to, because the swing, the door swings both ways, where the employee should then feel comfortable saying, you know, like I do love t-shirts and I do want a t-shirt business. Uh, so then, when the chef gets that opportunity of like, hey, we're going to start doing merch, <laughs> we need t-shirts. You can be like, oh, perfect, I know just the person to ask about this. Um, it's an on-the-job training, and I think a lot of that kind of starts with with onboarding when you interview somebody you know, asking them, you know, you know, what are your goals? Like, do you, do you want to be in this industry long-term? If you, if you don't, then okay, well, what do you want to do? So we can kind of start to tailor the messaging and the way we interact with you in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people get, uh, have that fear in them that they, they won't get hired if they, you know, don't, don't give the answer that the employer wants to hear, which, I mean, it's different for everyone, right? There is that person who wants that classic answer, but I think more and more, like you said, it's becoming much more the norm that, you know, like, I mean, the math doesn't work out in restaurants, right? So it's like, don't, it's, it's, it's okay to not have that as your final 
destination. Right. And, and at least, you know, if, if someone wants to open that t-shirt company down the road and they tell us that up front, at least we know we have somebody honest with us, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we'd all rather have somebody that's honest. I think honesty a lot of times translates into somebody that's going to work hard, that's going to be dependable and reliable. And if they're running late, they're probably just running late. They're not actually, you know, doing whatever. Totally. Uh, I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you and that'll, that'll kind of close it out. Um, it's a Saturday morning. It's, or, you know, it's your first day off after a work week. It doesn't have to be a Saturday. You're standing in front of your kitchen. How do you make your eggs in the morning? Over easy. Would that change if you made eggs for, you know, a chef that you admire or someone, someone else in your life? Do you, do you still make them over easy eggs or is there kind of an egg technique you uh, like to flex on? Well, every, every, every weekday morning, I'll, I'll do some over medium eggs for my fiance because that's how she likes them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, usually because she's on the go, which means that it's usually in between like a over medium and like a, like almost well, because that way she can eat a bite of her egg sandwich and it's not going to run all over the place. Do you have a uh, little bit still of got a little juice to it? Yeah. Do you have a little bit of, of pride in, in that execution? Cause it's not easy. Oh, every that, time that just right. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm like, I'm like what time are you walk out the door this morning? Because if it's if it sits too long, then it'll it'll continue to cook and it'll be done. You oh know? man! It's so, so yeah, true. it's and then on the weekends, I'll, a lot of times I'll make her like a smoked salmon bandage or something like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. definitely some poached eggs and a quick hollandaise. But uh, she knows that she better be behaving that week if she's gonna get something nice. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Name an ingredient that you're obsessed with right now, if you have one. Oh gosh, um, you know just plant the seeds of the garden so uh i'm excited about all the herbs we have that are starting to uh sprout up uh some lemon thyme um i didn't have any sage last year so i'm excited about using some sage especially some cocktails awesome. um i love a good basil uh, especially mm-hmm. around the garden i mean i feel like whether it's in food or a drink um or a sauce it's, i feel like nothing like fresh basil that's nice and ripe out of the garden what is a cookbook that you've gifted most or are most likely to recommend to someone just starting out? Uh, probably the Flavor Bible. Got it. Um, I did a big I, breakdown I, of that. Well, I'm, I'm planning on doing it. There was a book that I covered that does something similar to the Flavor Bible where they'll do like flavor combinations, but it's so valuable. That book is so good. Yeah. And I mean, if, if I ever get in a rut, um, you know, I'll, I'll find something at, at the, uh, the farmer's market that I might not be real familiar with and open up the flavor Bible and see kind of what works. And, and, uh, it's, it's definitely for anyone that's looking to kind of expand their culinary horizons. I think it's a great way to kind of have some fun, whether it's at home or in the kitchen, uh, at work. It's like a, it's like a thesaurus for chefs, right? Like coming up with different words or like what works together. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Is there a technique that you're still intimidated by in the kitchen? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, maybe souffling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, on occasional only because you, you obviously have to be pretty precise with your, your measurements and everything. Um, but, and just because you know, it's so delicate and the, and the shelf life for a, a nicely risen souffle isn't very long. Yeah. But, it's no joke. But aside from that, I think I think I'm pretty good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I start to look at some crossover stuff where it's like, 
I see the guys who are like hand stretching noodles. I'm like, I would have no idea what I'm doing with some of that oh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, but I, I feel like yeah, I get it so, pretty fast. I mean, yes, some of the crossover stuff, um, especially when you start bringing in other, other cuisines and cultures. Um, yeah, I would, I mean, I wouldn't feel comfortable making, you know, homemade ramen noodles, but, <laughs> yep, but uh, yep. I, I think I can get it down after uh, a couple of weeks worth of practicing. You somehow get a call right after this interview that you've just won like an all expenses paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And then when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to talk to waiting to have dinner with you. What restaurant is? So it's probably the French Laundry. Um, and the person is probably Nick Saban. Okay. So, so uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know, he's a football coach. I went to Alabama. He's our football coach. But um, he's been you know, wildly successful. And in early stages of his career, he was kind of you know, bouncing around and got a lot of flack for that. But later, he's kind of you know, really, I think, gotten clear on you know, why he does it and, and the type of, of work that he does. And I, I really respect, you know, he t- talks about the process of, and it's actually very similar to Thomas Keller. So French Laundry might be a good, uh, place to have that conversation, but he talks about the process of, of just showing up every day and, and getting a little bit better and, and focusing on on you know each play and each practice, not focusing on championships. If you focus on the task you have at hand, you know, in very little small increments, you put those increments up against each other, and you have you know something to be proud of. Absolutely. Do you think he's Do you think he's into food at all? Do you think you would? I don't. Th- I don't think he is. I don't think he's into yeah. that much of anything except for a. Uh, success on the football field and maybe his family <laughs> well just tell him tell him that it's a three-star michelin restaurant he'll probably <laughs> go along with it I, I don't think he even knew uh there's there was a i think it was i was in what 2000 what were we in 2016 when they had when the, there was the uh, presidential election he didn't even knew there was it was voting day oh my god so head down too focused yep and i think that's a lot of how like keller uh you, you would know better than I, but how he kind of comes across with just very you know, doing everything a certain way, you know, every single time the right way. And, but then you look and, and see too, that why these individuals are doing things a certain way. And it's, it's really to instill a certain uh, level of, I guess, care and, and uh, thoughtfulness uh, in the people around them so that they can be successful themselves. Absolutely. Uh, where can people find you online and get in touch? I know uh, you've got your 10 day challenge on your site. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, on my website, uh, chrishillonline.com. Uh, there's, yeah, if you hop on there, you can join. I have a 10 day, a chef brand building challenge, which really is a challenge to, uh, I'll send an email every single day for 10 days. And it's really a challenge to get people to you know, step outside of their comfort in the kitchen and start building a brand for themselves. So using the, you know, the cooking chops they have um, and taking that outside the kitchen to get some awareness, uh, to understand how they can you know, create more opportunities for themselves uh, in and out of the kitchen. And is there any other platforms you'd like people to check your stuff out on, whether it's? Uh, yeah, you know, I, mean, I, have a, I have a pretty engaged following over on uh, Facebook, which is uh, Chef Chris Hill. And, Love for folks to check out the uh, podcast as well, which is called Making the Cut, uh, which is named after my first book. And uh, I host that with uh, my buddy, Sean Winter, who founded Entrepreneurial Chef. 
Um, so we have a lot of, we had Jeremiah Tower on there, Richard Blaze, some other great folks um, is in and out of the culinary world. So definitely for people to check that out as well. Perfect. Uh, well, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Justin, it was a pleasure. Thank you uh, for having me, buddy. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks for listening to the Emulsion Podcast. I appreciate your ears more than you know. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com slash Kana. Other ways you can help out right now include giving this show a review on iTunes so more people can find it. I also love seeing you folks liking and commenting on the video if you listen that way, or even just share this episode with a friend. Now is normally why I would tell you that my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to so i'm just going to get out of the out of the way here excuse excuse me <laughs>